0: Our Star Wars Rebels rewatch continues with season two. Purgles, helicopter lightsabers, new rebel bases, and old friends are all part of the season leading up to a fandom shattering finale. We explore the second season in this episode of Sky Talkers. Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts. Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte.
1: And I'm your other host, Caitlin. And welcome to this week's show where we're talking all about the second season of Star Wars Rebels. And I'm super pumped to continue our Rebels rewatch and our Rebels discussion. Our last episode, all about season one, was really fun and it was great to revisit it. And season two was a roller coaster and I'm, (sighs) I'm looking forward to talking about it.
0: I just finished season 2 about uh, 2 hours ago. <laughs> I uh, cried like a baby. I I know where this all ends. I don't know. I am not going to be okay by season 4. No. I I am not okay. Like, <laughs> and yeah, I think I'm still kind of living in that emotional state of the finale. I feel like maybe you could hear it in my voice that I'm just like not as peppy (laughs) as I was before. Like, I, I, when, before we started doing this, I was like, I don't know. I feel like this, that Twilight of the Apprentice changed so much. (laughs) And I was reflecting on how important that finale is and have been for the past two hours. So, anyway, excited to talk. I really am excited to talk. I've been greatly enjoying this Rebels rewatch and doing the podcast about it. So, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, some housekeeping is that this is going to be probably our last rewatch episode for now as we work a little bit on our summer series, which will be coming out soon. So that's the update <laughs> about that. I don't know, Caitlin, do you have anything to add about that? Such like an ambiguous update. Like, well, I know. I know we're
1: working on the summer series.
0: <laughs> well, keep an eye on our socials. We do have the artwork that's done. We have a bunch of stuff that's done for yeah. the summer series that will be debuting soon, along with the theme. So probably after this episode is out for a little bit, we'll debut that. But we have a lot of work to do. So yes, and I, you doing. know, I
1: didn't tell you I got the physical copies of our artwork. Actually,
0: oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my gosh. What the heck? Kayla? I know.
1: I know. I wanted to, like, I actually <laughs> got it today, um, Okay, <laughs> but it looks so good and I'm so okay, excited great. to show it.
0: <laughs> Yay. I know it's, it's beautiful. And we'll share more about that soon. Yes. I'm very excited. Um,
1: yeah, I, um, I finished watching the season last night and I got to watch Twilight of the Apprentice at like, 11 o'clock at night in like total darkness, which I feel like is the way to watch Twilight of the Apprentice because all the colors on the screen just really the lighting in Twilight of the Apprentice is just, it's iconic. I think like the whole setting of Malachor. So I I felt like watching it at midnight was just kind of how it should be watched, (laughs) but there is a lot going on in this season and I'm really excited to talk all about it. So I mean,
0: we don't have any other housekeeping stuff. So do we just want to like dive in? Let's go. All right. So in part one, we're going to be contextualizing season two, just as we did for season one in last episode. In part two, we'll be talking about the themes of season two. And in part three, we're going to be discussing highlights and lowlights and kind of diving into some specific episodes. So without further ado, let's get started.
1: So who talks first? You talk first? I talk first. All right. Welcome to part one, where we're contextualizing season two. And like Charlotte mentioned, we did this last episode uh, when we talked about season one. And at the time, we actually weren't sure we were going to keep the same kind of part one with contextualizing. Um, With season one, it felt like it made a lot of sense about, you know, the state of fandom and Rebels being this first kind of reveal from Disney, Star Wars, Lucasfilm era. But I think after thinking about season two, it kind of makes a lot of sense to also contextualize what was going on in Star Wars world uh, when season two was airing, because this is also a really fascinating time
0: <laughs> as <Yes. laughs>
1: a Star Wars fan. So in case you need a reminder, season two aired between June 2015 and March uh, March 30th is when the last season aired, March 30th, 2016. So this is covering all of the buildup to The Force Awakens. And man, oh man, like this. you and I were just talking before we started recording about like what was going on with us personally like we had just graduated from college like literally right before (laughs) season two aired and we were actually we were in iceland when season two would have been airing isn't that crazy
0: oh so true yeah it's funny because it's something to note though is that season two had a mini movie quote unquote mini movie premiere Mm -hmm. and aired in june but didn't continue episode three basically of season two until October so June to October and I remember this time period being like that's weird why'd they do that it was fine obviously but looking back like that's strange I'm glad they don't do this anymore (laughs) because I don't think we could handle think about it like two Mandalorian episodes premiering and then having to wait what is that like four months until the third episode comes out like are you kidding me (laughs) It, no.
1: Well, you kind of think about it. And like also, so, so other things that were happening in this year, right? So obviously Force Awakens comes out in December, but there's all of the ramp up to Force Awakens, like the um, the read-along, like Right Aftermath and uh, Lost Stars are published. Huge things in our future. Huge. Fa- <laughs> huge. Huge. We've got Force <laughs> Friday for the Force Awakens, which was massive. Also, Dark Disciple is published, which is a personal favorite of Charlotte and I's. And this is your push to read. Dark Dark Disciple, if you've never read Dark Disciple, but also so, um, in June and in, in May and June of 2015, it's the last year of Star Wars Weekends, which we are huge fans of Star Wars Weekends and Rebels was present at Star Wars Weekends. So I almost wonder if like part of this, and I didn't do this research, so forgive me, but if part of that kind of early premiere of the beginning episodes of Rebels was somehow linked to uh, the send-off for Star Wars Weekends in some kind of way.
0: Yeah, maybe. I have no idea. Me I don't. Either. I don't think so. I think that it probably has more to boost ratings on probably Disney Channel in the summer months, Disney which XD. struggle. I don't know if the mini-movie was on Disney XD or Disney Channel, though, as they usually do with the beginning episodes. They sometimes put them on Disney Channel. I don't have that in front of me. So that's why I said that.
1: Mm.
0: But... I think that sometimes summer months are low ratings months for TV. So I'm sure that's probably what they did. But it's it's weird. Yeah. <laughs> and I just need to state how weird that is. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I remember this time also wondering what sort of crossovers could potentially happen with Star Wars Rebels that might lead into or hint at the sequel trilogy, The Force Awakens. And I don't think anything really happened in Rebels. But it's funny to look back on this time where you and I were so laser focused on The Force Awakens. It was what we were here for in fandom at that point, mm-hmm. And we were so excited for it. So like the first half of Rebels, I watched it every night when it was on. But I think that we were <laughs> our brains were very force awakened <laughs> at this time. And that's okay. It was just the beginning of a lot of a lot of Star Wars suddenly being coming out all together at the same time, you know?
1: Yeah, it's kind of crazy when I think back to 2015, it's like just Force Awakens for me. Like I think about, we talk about this a lot of like things that how Star Wars becomes like corner milestones in your own kind of like life story. And 2015 being the year we graduated college, it's when you and I both had to move back home and we're looking for jobs. I was working for my parents. It was like a weird time for us (laughs) personally in 2015. Yeah, But then all of the like lead up to the Force Awakens, I think was like you said, it, it was what we were lazy are focus on was like this new thing. And like, I remember reading Lost Stars with you when it came out. I remember like... <laughs> Of Force Friday, thinking about that. And then, of course, like buying our tickets for four, like all of that just consumes my Star Wars memory when it comes to 2015. And nothing else kind of blips on the radar, honestly, until we get to like the end of season two with like the last yeah. kind of four episodes. Honestly, like that feels bad to say, but that's how consumed I was <laughs> with The Force Awakens. It's,
0: it's interesting, though, because watching and doing this rewatch, though, I remember physically watching every single one of these episodes mm-hmm. in my bed at home. Yeah. And it's weird to have that sort of sense of place though with a memory like this where yeah. you didn't really necessarily remember the episodes before you were watching them and then you can remember the exact moment where you were when you were watching them last. Yeah, I just feel like we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording though that we weren't really talking about Rebels together <laughs> before the force of like like post December 2015. I feel like we were watching it but we weren't like Spending a lot of time chatting about it, right? Yeah. And I think after The Force Awakens comes out in December, then we are like really back in with the Star Wars fandom in like a really big way that I'm sure a lot of people who are listening can relate to. That then the conversation continues about like, okay, so now we're really into Rebels again, too. Not that we weren't watching it before because we were, but. It was suddenly very exciting Mm -hmm. to be part of this ecosystem again in a really big way. Since a movie came out, it was well-received. Everyone around us was excited about it. It was a good time. And Twilight of the Apprentice was also a good time. And everything leading up to this finale was great. I remember really enjoying season two. Um, I mentioned last uh, podcast episode that Rebels took a little bit for me to sink my teeth into and get really excited about. Season two was it for me that was when i really was watching it like i mentioned every time i came out and i was really into it and i f- really started to fall in love with the characters which i think was the goal of the season they really we went from 15 episodes to 22 episodes which is a, a lot of episodes as we found <laughs> out <laughs> and i do feel like this season accomplished the goal of focusing a little bit on each of the members of the ghost crew and Uh, extrapolating a little bit more on their backstories and giving them individual episodes. And that's what you get from a 22-episode season. Like, RIP, we don't get 22-episode seasons anymore. Sometimes, I guess we do with animation. We might have recently with The Bad Batch. But it's super rare to get that these days. Like, imagine if we got 22 episodes of The Mandalorian. But we used to get TV like that all the time. And I think that this season, though, of Rebels really did accomplish what it needed to of making the audience feel closer to each member of the ghost crew. I think in Rebels Recon, Dave even says that Chopper has like he says that Chopper doesn't have an arc, but Chopper actually does have an arc in this season. And I think that says it all. Chopper has a whole episode in this in this season where at the end of it, he makes a friend. and that's his arc, right? Is we see that <laughs> the chopper has a good side. And um it isn't selfish, right? And I think that that was great. I don't know. Really enjoyed this season and I like it more than season 1 actually.
1: Yeah, I think that you know last uh, um last episode when we were talking about season 1, I think one of our critiques had kind of been in talking about how characters like Sabine and Zeb don't really it felt like they didn't really get there as much time to shine until later in the series but I'll be honest like I forgot that they had these episodes in season two (laughs) they each had kind of a couple of standout episodes in this up in this season that focused on them explicitly and I don't know it's kind of like one of those things where you know if it's been a while since you've rewatched a show like some of these like it's hard to kind of place where an episode happens like I could have Obviously, I know that there's, you know, the episode with um, Zeb and Callis and they, you know, the honorable ones. But I I don't know if I could have been like, yeah, that's season two. I would have been like, it's not season one and it's not season four. But that's all I got for you. (laughs) and I don't know sometimes it's kind of hard for me to remember where to place episodes but I'm glad that we actually did see more of that uh, development in these characters uh, contrary to what we were talking about in season one uh, the other week on the show so when we were talking about season one I brought up this reviewer from the AV club Kevin Johnson who reviewed the entire series of Star Wars Rebels and uh, one of the things that was pretty prominent throughout his review of season one was that he hates Chopper anything chopper is a horrible character has no redeeming no. qualities is not funny <laughs> like really doesn't like chopper so when we got to the forgotten droid which is chopper's episode with ap5 i was like i can't wait to see what kevin <laughs> thinks about this episode and the title <laughs> of his review is sorry star wars rebels but chopper is an awful terrible character
0: <laughs> no no <laughs> No, we don't tolerate the <laughs> Chopper hate. Not at all. At all. It's- I can't handle this. It is so bizarre to me, this whole <laughs> <So> thing. <funny. laughs>
1: I, he talks about how like R2-D2 and Anakin are clearly like friends, but he doesn't really buy that with Chopper and Hera. He even says... Um, Any redeeming factors or good deeds that emerge from the droid feel so flippant, superficial, and circumstantial. He's not even good at broad comic relief. If you permit me this one time to utilize a bit of vulgarity, Chopper effing sucks. (laughs) It's like such a verbose (laughs) review about how much he hates Chopper. It's, I don't know. I just find it so hilarious that he... then had to write like this entire review about how much he dislikes chopper with like his least favorite character and i don't know and there are like hundreds of comments (laughs) on this review about how all these people also dislike chopper but then there's like the rogue couple of people within uh these comments that are like no i i love that he's kind of an a-hole and i think he's hilarious and i think chopper is hilarious and I don't know. We're gonna talk about this later in the episode, but there's this really interesting thing with season two, I think, of for me and and for Charlotte too, I would say, while we're watching it, of really reflecting on where Star Wars fandom is now versus where it was when this season is has, was airing and how many things are kind of brought up in season two specifically that have had follow-through in a lot of other areas in Star Wars storytelling since 2015, 2016, and that a lot of them originated in season two. and And even how things that were heavily critiqued when this season was airing are like super beloved now. And I think, of course, an easy example of this is the Purgles, of course. I, I don't really know what people's opinion of the episode with the Purgles is these days, but the Purgles themselves, I think, are like, people love them. I love them. I freaking love the Purgles. Me too. So, oh, we'll talk about that more as the episode goes on. But uh, I just, I had to shout out this, like, insane review about Chopper. <laughs>
0: It's just something we're tracking. But also <laughs> just to say, just to say, I don't remember anyone hating chopper. No, neither. And I feel like I was pretty plugged in. I'm not as obviously I wasn't as plugged in as I am now, but I don't remember that at all. And I think this this lone reviewer on his crusade to hate chopper. I'm I'm not saying I because I don't, I disagree completely, but like I do admire. The critique to continue with the bit, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and to devote this entire uh, our, this entire review to how he thinks Chopper isn't really working as a character. I mean, I don't... Again, I really disagree, but okay. I, I don't know. It's this is a large commitment to the bit. And here we are, it really years is. later, talking about it on the <laughs> podcast. So maybe... I don't know. I don't know. All I'm saying is I don't know.
1: What I wish uh, had happened, uh, and something that's not really present in his reviews as of yet, uh, is that he never comments on Rebels Recon. So I would love to know his opinion on Chopper Cam and if that eventually wins him over at all with Chopper. Because Chopper Cam, as we've discussed, is such a gem.
0: (laughs) The thing is, is... I wonder if, okay, I think Chopper is an amazing character. I really loved Chopper in Rebels, but Chopper Cam really, and like Rebels Recon in general, really put Chopper as a character over the top for me of love that I can almost attribute a lot of my love for Chopper to that part of Star Wars fandom too. (laughs) Right? Yeah, no, totally. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's all part of it, but if you don't, if you're not in on the joke with the chopper cam of it all, if you don't know what we're talking about, please go watch Rebels Recon on YouTube, which is Star Wars's after show for Star Wars Rebels. We've praised it on the show before, and there's a section that is highly devoted to chopper. So yeah, <laughs> and it's really funny. And there's a very prolonged joke that we'll talk about a little bit later actually let's just go into it right now the end of rebels recon for twilight of the apprentice is chopper going into a box to be shipped off to the uk and eventually we find out (laughs) that this is a long form joke that will take years to tell of (laughs) chopper being sent to the rogue one set because chopper is in rogue one for like point Zero two seconds in the background and that's the joke and caitlin and i didn't get the joke, the joke. until no one much did. later no one no one, one got it and and it was i mean maybe like a couple no can't say they, no one no one but
1: if they say they did they're lying and i i, I, I will stand by that no one got it
0: right because <laughs> because as we mentioned the brain was on the force awakens mm-hmm. so when this happens at the end of this rebels recon it's like I guess Ch- Chopper's fired, I guess. He's going to the UK. He's being shipped off. And there's a sticker for the UK on it. But no one really thought, wonder where he's going. Well, And it turns out that there's a crossover <laughs> for the movies. <laughs> <laughs> the movie crossover.
1: Movie cross- what's funny, though, is that in season two, Rebels Recon, Chopper's storyline is that he works on rebels recon and so the rebels recon crew every week are like giving chopper jobs to do on rebels recon like he has to edit the show he has to like promote it he's in charge of the star wars twitter like he does all these different things and he's, he's wearing many hats, he's wearing, he's wearing many hats. <laughs> and he keeps trying to get out of them like there's one episode of chopper cam where he he has to like edit the show and is like so fed up that he has to do this work that he brings in a cardboard cutout of himself, puts it in front of the computer, and then brings up like a wave file, literally at like a wave file of Chopper noises, and then goes like out fishing. <laughs> Iconic <laughs> Just, It's so ridiculous So it kind of makes sense that he gets fired at the end
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> Anyway we're, we're all leading to that The point is there's an elaborate <laughs> joke That no one is really clued in on And it's a really big so long good. joke Like that we're not even scratching the surface of Until next season <laughs> So Anyway, Check let's move on here. and talk about the reviews a little bit more yeah. <laughs> more serious stuff. Yeah. So one of the next reviews I just kind of wanted
1: to briefly touch on when we're talking about like things that have new perspective now and kind of how they were received back then is the Purgle episode, which is called The Call. And again, I'm reading from this guy, Kevin um, Johnson from the AV Club. I like his reviews. I think they are good reviews. But I think he has like a really interesting perspective on this episode, especially as someone who has no idea where this is going in the future like literally no one has any idea where this is going in the future and how he thinks that this episode he doesn't call it filler but he does think that he calls it um he says it's a fairly average generic story and he says i suppose you could read a bit into ezra's connection to the purgles as an extension of his developing force abilities which seems to be a Be way more emotional based than Jedi skill based to be fair that's a valid and significant read the episode itself though doesn't do much with this revelation except allow for Hera to change her attitude towards these space whales. Uh, Ezra is more open to his feelings, which makes him more connected to the living creatures around him. And that's fine. Now what? The episode doesn't bother to say. And I don't think that's necessarily like a, a wrong reading of the show, because when I watch it now, of course, I'm reading so much into, or I'm I'm putting so much into this episode of what is to come in the future as it relates to the season four finale. And even into the future, like in Mandalorian, when Grogu sees the Purgles and in the high republic when we're talking about like hyperspace travel and everything happening in the high republic at that time you know so i think it's it's i think it's good to read reviews like this because while we ha- you and i don't like to talk about episodes as filler anymore i think i think watching this episode on its own back then it was kind of like what what the heck are we doing here like all right <laughs> <laughs> like it looks great yeah. i think it's beautiful but it is just kind of this random episode with space whales, and Ezra is like, No, don't hurt the space whales. And everyone's like, All right, I guess so, if, it, if, if we can't. And that's kind of where it ends. <laughs>
0: uh huh. It's funny how Dave has always played the long game with things like this. And I think that's why episodes like the Purgle episode and like episodes in the Clone Wars that have payoff later are reasons why we put our trust into Dave Filoni in a lot of ways for his storytelling. I remember watching this, that this was like really the height of discussions of episodes of the quote unquote filler. I just think that if it hasn't been said, like we don't really think any episode is filler, but it does feel like this, the extension, like we mentioned from 15 episodes in season one to 22 episodes in season two the season felt long and there's a lot of like meandering that happened. And when you get to the finale, it's like, damn, this is like, this is the good stuff, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And when you watch something week to week versus the binge model, which is what we do, you can get the, you get a feeling more for like what someone means by filler. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I remember that. I remember being like, that was an interesting one. But also not really thinking that much of it. But you don't really want someone to not think that much of your episode, you know? Yeah. And I think um, it's always interesting, though. The point is it's always interesting to look back on the way that things felt at the time versus how they seem now when you have the full picture. And we don't even have the full picture, right? Like we just know how the space whales come back at the end of season four uh, of Rebels. And we don't know how... Much more often we're going to see Purgles in the rest of Star Wars canon. I assume we're going to see them again in the Ahsoka show upcoming um, since we got a taste of them in uh, Mandalorian in live action. And like you mentioned, they're mentioned in the High Republic too, which is very cool. But it isn't like – the I don't know. It's a little different than um, the way that we're pushing forward, I guess, with the story versus – backwards, I guess, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. It's always interesting to look back about how we perceive things in the time that they aired versus how it all feels like a complete piece. And something that just really struck me, something that really struck me about season two was how planned it all felt. It always felt like even in Rebels Recon, when Henry Gilroy or Dave Filoni would be talking about the season as a whole, they would be alluding to things that would happen in the future. And some of the things that they would be alluding to don't happen till season 4, don't happen till season 3. And then you really realize that there's a whiteboard somewhere that they're pulling from. Then they have a clear directive that they're going towards. And I don't know if I necessarily felt that clear direction when I was watching the show in 2015-2016, but now I I see it so clearly of course because with the hindsight is 2020. But it's often something to think about a lot. With Star Wars and Star Wars creation, I know that it's so often debated about like, what's the plan? Who has a plan? Who doesn't have a plan, right? And that can get a little old. But it's very clear how Rebels really did know where it was going and what story it wanted to tell with these characters. This The Purgle piece and like some of these episodes that might be called quote unquote filler um, come back in the future. And it's cool.
1: Yeah, I think season two is really when watching it now is when I felt like, oh, they already know how all of this is ending. Like, pretty detailed. <laughs> yeah. How all yeah. of this that's is cool. ending. Yeah. Uh, one last thing from this review on the Purgle episode uh, in the section that they call Stray Observations of Kevin's reviews. I just thought this was funny. Again, hindsight is 2020. 20. And he writes, I find it. Difficult to swallow that Pergle's ability to jump into hyperdrive has never been observed before, especially if the rumor is that their ability was inspired, ha- was inspired the first uses of hyperdrives on ships, which is obviously something that has been explored a lot more now. Like you said, interesting to read back. The the last review I want to kind of highlight is Twilight of the Apprentice. I think, you know, we in the prologue, we said Twilight of the Apprentice was the fandom shattering finale, and I think it's still... Is To this day, it's something that Rebels, I think, is known for, honestly, is Twilight of the Apprentice. And the ramp up to Twilight of the Apprentice was super intense. As you mentioned, spoilers were on the table. People were talking about this confrontation all season long. It was... And in one of the Rebels recon earlier in the season, Dave even says that that's what the season finale is leading to. And he's like, People are talking about it. We've talked about it. We can't have this season without that confrontation.
0: <laughs> so, can I just pause for a second? Mm-hmm. I think that is part of the, the fact that people were complaining about the Purgle filler episodes.
1: Yeah, because
0: everyone knew the Toilet of the Apprentice was going to be epic and they didn't know how epic it would be. They didn't know that Ahsoka would potentially, like this would potentially be her end in for, for as much as we know. Right. We didn't know that, but we knew that it was going to be something big and Darth Vader was going to be in it. And Ahsoka was probably going to be in it. Right. And I think that, um, wanting that finale and getting to that point, I think goes hand in hand with people discussing episodes that maybe weren't leading to that directly. Right. And I think that could potentially be a negative to hinting at future episodes, I guess, especially a finale, which is like the end point.
1: Yeah. Well, it's just, it's all the anticipation, you know, that you can't, Relax in an episode like the Purgle episode because <laughs> you're like, Totally. Space Worlds are cool, but like Thaddeus and Ahsoka.
0: Like, Ahsoka, <laughs> like that's coming. How are we going to get there? And why yeah. are we doing that? You know? Yeah. And because exactly. the, the Space Worlds don't really have anything to do with that confrontation that we know is coming. So when you're watching it, you're like, All right, tap in your watch. Like, where's the next piece? And that is unfair to the show. That's sort of what I'm just saying. Is that I think that that sort of anticipation is unfair to the show, yeah. Because I think the show storytelling is strong, and but maybe not strong enough under the anticipatory weight.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it's hard to overcome that anticipatory weight. As yeah, you it. yeah, yeah. So I did want to read um, some some longer excerpts from Kevin's review of both parts of Twilight of the Apprentice because I think I think they're really interesting, and I think they are it's a good critique of season two as a whole. I think that you said you like season two better than season one. I'm kind of undecided. I think that season two kind of for a lot of the reasons we've already talked about was more uneven than season one. And I think as we've discussed, that is kind of due to a longer episode order with 22 versus 15 episodes. And yeah, I think it's a little bit more uneven than season one. Um, I don't know if that means I like it less. It's just something that I could feel while I was watching it. So I think there are some interesting bits that uh, this reviewer Kevin kind of pulls from when it comes to this season. He writes, It's difficult to place exactly how I feel about the finale to the second season of Star Wars Rebels. The second part of Twilight of the Apprentice is filled with a breathtaking intensity that is undeniably addicting, shocking, and dramatic. Yet the first part, along with the season as a whole, really feels like the writers missed a few things along the way. The scattered one-off episodes were a mixed bag of quality, but the biggest issue with them is they never allowed for enough time to really get into Kanan, Ezra, and especially Ahsoka to really grasp where they figuratively stand in the scheme of things on their trip to Malachor. During the season, there's definitely been some small moments in which Ezra exhibited dark side leanings and clear moments in which Kanan noticed this but failed to address them. But the show never seemed to give those moments the time and space to breathe, to build the tension long term, to make the reveals of the finale more potent. Nuance is fine and all, but Star Wars works better when it's more direct with its internal and external conflict. The lack of seasonal development of some aspects really dragged down some of the more significant moments, like the Inquisitors. Not only were the two, well, three in this season, mostly ineffectual, the The actual purpose of an Inquisitor is still rather unclear, in the sense that they're not much different than any other Sith-trained lackey. The brief implication that the Seventh Sister and Ahsoka had history, never addressed, as she's easily dispatched, along with the two brothers. Speaking of which, Ahsoka's full potential felt underused all season. Bursts of brilliance would shine through, only to sideline her for significant amounts of time. This has the unfortunate effect of making her final confrontation with Darth a bit lacking. It's powerful, poignant, and tense, but it sort of feels like there's a character beat missing. When Ahsoka cracks his mask and sees his his face, she suddenly softens and offers to stay with him. The episode plays the moment with the weight it deserves, but since we never spent much time with her personal struggle over this, it's a moment that never really settles into place. He goes on to talk about Maul a little bit. Um, he says, I do like Maul's plan to solely pull Ezra into his way of thinking and eventual apprentice. It's evident from the first second they meet. The idea that the young apprentice's dark side tendencies are strong is a great thread to work from. It, it's just it would have been better served to hear more about Maul and how and why he's working this angle or why he's even on Malachor in the first place. The Inquisitors first chasing the ghost crew only to be chasing Maul now again feels like it's missing a narrative beat. Yet, as I mentioned before, it's the episode's commitment to the story that allows it to surpass the flaws, particularly in the second part. It was a bold move to separate Ezra and Kanan, a relationship that has always felt perfunctory on purpose. Ever since Kanan claimed to commit to teaching Ezra back in season one, it's been obvious that the rapport has not been that great and that teaching sessions have been awkward at best and hostile at worst. It was the show's most clever bit of development, a bit of misdirection that hid the bulk of those training sessions to lampshade the tension between them. So it follows that Ezra would easily fall into Maul's manipulations. When Maul reveals that he plans to steal Ezra as his own apprentice, it figuratively and literally blindsides Kanan, who loses his eyesight with an errant lightsaber swipe from Maul's hand. Um, and then he talks about how the like ending montage is like super effective when it comes to like where we leave all of our characters at the end of the season. Yes.
0: Yes. Very, very effective.
1: Very effective. (laughs) Um, He he basically ends it by saying, Twilight the Apprentice provides a tremendous episode that both lands as a finale and sets the table for a juicy third season. Even if a lot of particular details feel tossed aside or underdeveloped. I can't wait. And I know that was a lot to read, so I'm sorry for that. But I think it was like a really well-balanced review because I think reading through it, I was like, you know, there are some things that feel that I agree with in his kind of critiques about... Uh, like particularly Kanan, Ezra, and Ahsoka and their like quest for the Inquisitors, like before they leave, right, in the Mystery of Chopper base, before they leave on their quest for the Inquisitors, I kind of had forgotten how they basically think that they could die (laughs) on this trip to go see the Inquisitors. And I don't know if that was necessarily, if that, intensity of death is on the table was kind of built up enough throughout their previous kind of one-off encounters with the Inquisitors or even in I think how they were talking about the Inquisitors after they um, had fights with them.
0: I think that is because the Inquisitors sometimes feel like cartoony villains mm-hmm. that aren't really grounded in f- the story that we're being told or is around us i guess with star wars like we've never seen inquisitors before except for in Re- rebels yeah we're told that they're like vader's henchmen but at that point basically the way they're set up is they're extensions of vader without like the emotional purpose mm-hmm. of vader so therefore we just want as an audience we really just want the final showdown to be with Vader. Like we don't actually really care that, at least I'm speaking for myself. I don't really care that much about the Inquisitors. I never really have. I feel like there's too many of them and I don't know what to care about. I know what I care about when I care about Darth Vader. I know what I care about when I care about Ahsoka. And that's why this finale really works for me. And I disagree with a lot of what he says, by the way, but I do agree that, sure, I would have liked more narrative beats there. And I do think that you're right in pointing out like, I agree with you as well, but I do think that that is a little harsh. And I also like want to contextualize it as we are in this section in that this could have been potentially the end of the character of Ahsoka and there's so much writing on this. And if this was going to be the end of the character of Ahsoka and we know now it's not, right, then we wanted way more there than what we received. Because... This could have meant the last bit, and of course that, because Rebels isn't Ahsoka show, unlike Clone Wars was. We're not getting a lot of emotions and turmoil with Ahsoka, and except for a couple of episodes, I think the one where they're in the temple um, on Lothal, we get a pretty solid exploration of Ahsoka's emotions that like made me feel the Clone Wars again, I guess, and I was like, man, I. I'm really looking forward to exploring this personal side of Ahsoka in the future, potentially with the series Ahsoka, her self-titled series. So I feel like that we're leading to that point where we finally can get those emotional moments that we're so yearning for, I guess, in Toilet of the Apprentice, you know? I don't know if you agree with me on that.
1: No, I do. And I think that's kind of his point is that like this episode is so intense and so important for kind of all of our characters, for what happened to Kanan and Ezra and even with like Ahsoka and Vader, that the fact that for as elevated as this episode is, particularly for Ahsoka and Vader, the fact that it didn't have kind of more groundwork throughout the season is it like that kind of feels uneven because of course we know their relationship and like, we have an emotional connection to them and, and all of that. But there is kind of, or there could have been room for more of her kind of thinking about, okay, is this Vader? I don't want to, or is this Anakin? I don't want to acknowledge that this is Anakin, but then like to your point, like this isn't Ahsoka's show. And there would have been the other side of the coin of like, Ahsoka's taking up too much time. This isn't clone Wars part two. This is rebels. And like, if we're thinking about contextualizing fandom at that time, there, you know, we've talked about the Save the Clone Wars hashtag, and there is this kind of, like, a little bit of, like, us versus them that's happening in the Star Wars fandom when it comes to Rebels and Clone Wars, especially if there are people whose entry point into Star Wars animation was Rebels and not Clone Wars. You know, there was kind of that, like, underdog feeling, and we've talked about this before, but I think we would have had... Um, a lot of commentary there if, you know, we had had more time with Ahsoka in this, in this season for her to kind of deal with the revelation of Vader and Anakin and all of that. So I think it was a really hard balance. And I think that's kind of what he's hinting at here is that the episode is great, but there is like, you can, again, looking at it in isolation and, thinking about if this was the last time we ever saw Ahsoka for a considerable amount of time, which it kind of (laughs) was, that it still feels like there was so much of her story that we were all kind of yearning for. And I think there are some interesting things that he had to say about Kanan and Ezra too. And when I was thinking back on it, I was like, yeah, you know, I think there could have been more room to see their training like even more in kind of the back half of season two. I think we get a lot of it in the front half of season one. And I think it works really well. Um, But then we kind of go on some side quests and stuff like that. And then we finally make it to the end where everything kind of comes to a head. Uh, So I think that is kind of alluding to what I was saying earlier about there being kind of an unevenness. But then the episode itself is so intense and good and emotional that I think I think by the end it's like to what he says of that. Um sorry, let me reset that. What he kind of says at the end of the review was like kind of all of the unevenness doesn't really even matter because that's how good the episode is when it really comes down to it.
0: Yeah, totally. I think the line about the literal blindsiding of Kanan is really effective mm-hmm. and something I actually hadn't hadn't thought about. And I think you see Ezra actually pulled in a lot of directions, I think at the midpoint of season two, where he's blaster training, cleaning the ship, and also having the Jedi training. He doesn't really know. And I think it goes into what we're probably going to talk about the next um, section about the themes. But I feel like he's pulled in all these different directions. And I I really liked that moment with Ezra. And I sort of wish that we had a little bit more of those, right? Mm -hmm. This acknowledgement of like, I don't know who I am. I'm still figuring that out. And I think Ezra is a really good protagonist because he's so nice and he is so supportive of Kanan and Hera. And I guess like maybe we would have, it would have been nice to have a little bit more tension there about his place there. Um, But at the same time, like I'm happy with what we got. And when he is sobbing in Kanan's arms at the end of this episode, I was like, I can't. I love how Ezra shows emotion. Mm -hmm. I think it's something that I have really grown to like in these two seasons that we've watched. Um, I've always liked Ezra as a character and I never really understood why people were so like annoyed by him in the very beginning. Just like classic, the young characters people get angry at, but I have always liked that he is a character who exerts a lot of emotion. And I think something that the show does really effectively, and I'd mentioned this when, when we talked about season one, but it really puts all of the bullshit that you deal with when you talk about like the Jedi Code and like showing emotions and attachment and everything. This show deals with none of that, and instead we get solid emotions, a really great found family story, and a, a protagonist who is so willing to cry in his master's arms. Like Anakin can never, you no, know, and that's Anakin the problem. Would never. Yeah, and I think he would want to, but he couldn't. And that's why he cries in Padme's arms in Attack of the Clones, right? And I think that you don't have any of that. And I'm sure that this was a huge relief for Dave to explore and all the writers, right? Yeah. Um, That you don't have to deal with that. And because of that, you get a really solid emotional story where when you have that last beat in the finale, where the camera is in like one solid... Shot going through the ghost, um, you're reminded of how far you've come (laughs) with this season and how much you've learned. You know, it's such an intense, like, kind of ending. You know, the music, you you know what? It's kind of
1: like the emotion it brings up in me is very similar to the end of episode three of Andor.
0: Yeah. It's because it's well, the music it is. is so effective. It is. It's, so it's good. a it's a crescendo
1: mm. of emotions at the end there. Oh my gosh. I did want to read lastly here just a couple of comments on this finale episode um that were left back in twenty sixteen. Uh so someone said the review didn't exactly make it clear. Does Ahsoka die at the end? <laughs> Which <laughs> <laughs>
0: Mood. <laughs> yeah, right, <laughs> uh,
1: and then someone says, "Kind of what we were talking about um with like, whose show is this?" And someone said, "I didn't need Ahsoka to be in every episode, but damn it, and Ahsoka Rex team up would have been great." And what about Lux guys? Which you know, same. I love Lux. <laughs>
0: <laughs> also, little did we did that person know that we were going to get a. Whole another season of the Clone Wars with an Ahsoka Rex team up,
1: (laughs) like truly, there's just so there's so much in season two that is kind of laid out, though, for Mm -hmm. things to come later down the line. It's just it's kind of astonishing.
0: Even Maul, you know, referencing the Siege of Mandalore in a lot Mm -hmm. of ways too. And it's like, oh, man, at that point when we were watching this, we hadn't seen it. We just heard about it. Yeah. But now we've seen it and we know how good that is. Oh, my God. It's so good. Yeah. Seeing Ahsoka stand next to Maul and fight Maul again after watching the like all the Siege of Mandalore stuff in the Clone Wars, it's just unreal. It's, it's the payoff great. is great. Yeah. It's great to be a Star Wars fan sometimes, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, someone else said,
1: shout out to composer Kevin Kiner, whose work during the finale was top notch. The music during the ending montage and Ahsoka's duel with Vader sent chills down my spine, which, <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, someone said, I wish they'd adopt the Clone Wars style of telling a single story over multiple episodes. I think it would get rid of filler episodes and allow them to really flesh out the relationships of the crew. Uh and someone else, so another series that could use half the amount of episodes per season. When will Hollywood learn that bigger is not always better? Um, they learned. They and learned. And now, now we're kind here. of on the flip side of some <laughs> yeah. other things. Another,
0: more stuff. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> um,
1: someone said, I was happily surprised by the premiere solid B plus for me. But yeah, that climax snuck up on me and I found I was far more invested than I thought I would be. <laughs>
0: <laughs> not the solid b, A
1: solid b plus i can't what more could you want <laughs> <laughs> anyway those were just some comments uh from from this review and yeah i i enjoy reading this guys review and and kind of the the look back at how things were being received so yeah it was fun all
0: right let's move on to talk about themes <laughs> So welcome to part two. We're talking about the themes of season two. And I wanted to start where we sort of alluded to, and that was the theme of trust. I thought throughout this entire season, I marked this down, basically in episode three, I was like, trust is a huge part of season two. And I think in episode three is when we we meet um, the clones again, right? We meet Rex, we meet Wolf, we meet Gregor and see where they've come. But a big part of the story, I think, of that extension of Rebels is how Kanan has to trust them and trust the fact that uh to get over this piece of his past, right? I thought that was really interesting. And I just really felt like with within every single episode there was this huge element of the theme of trust and how individual members of the ghost crew were learning to work with each other in a big way. And I think we get a small amount of exploration of Sabine again in this in this season. It's not a ton. She really shines in season three, so I'm really excited to get there. But uh, even Kanan having to like let her trust her Mandalorian instincts and make sure that she just trusts her. And uh, when they deal with Fen Rao and everything, um, and she proves that she's as she doesn't sorry. She proves that she's loyal to the ghost crew and Kanan and everything. But even Zeb having to trust himself with the whole Lyra-San situation, which that episode, man. That episode. I I can't. <laughs> they I Caitlin knows I've talked about this for a while. This episode feels like a dream to me. <laughs> I remember watching it really late at night and being like, what is this episode? And it is the most under-talked about Star Wars episode that is a weird force stuff situation, mm-hmm. basically, that no one talks about. And so many times dotted over the past couple of years, I've been like, Caitlin, do you remember that? episode of Rebels <laughs> with Zeb and like there's like a time warp basically and they go through this like hyperspace portal and it's like really weird and the colors are like extremely trippy and you were like no man like I don't remember that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and I'm like, like I, remember I swear it happened <laughs> yeah yeah and I, it's just like it's so crazy and there's so much good stuff that is in the episode oh my gosh but specifically Zeb having to trust himself Another thing I love about that episode is I love when the um g- basically like the grandma lasot is like Chava. You all you all occupy different roles throughout your life. You're not just one thing. Mm-hmm. And I Loved that because I love what it says about destiny, which is you can always change your destiny or your destiny is always changing. And I think she even says something like, You can change your own destiny, something we've talked about on the show in the past too, with an episode entitled Destiny and Fate. And I think <laughs> <laughs> such like a, I
1: think like a weird <laughs> skydger shout out. Like, please go listen to our episode on destiny
0: and fate. <laughs> I, again, that's that's an older one. I can't even tell you if we actually do talk about that, but I assume we do. Um and just the concept of like archetypes and roles and how you don't necessarily have to, just because you can check a box for an archetype doesn't mean that that's your entire archetype for the entire star Wars saga. Right. And that's something we've explored with our Kenobi series, even with using tarot cards. Yes, exactly. With tarot cards and how Kenobi can be all these different archetypes. Right. And I loved that that was a situation in this episode where Zeb, acknowledge the fact that he is a Lassat, that there's this hope this th- this hope for this future and like weird stuff is happening and he has to embody i don't know there's a lot of trust happening in that episode okay he has to em- trust himself he has to trust her he has to trust the trust that they're not going to die when they go through this like wormhole it- it's a- it's a lot okay <laughs> and every time i watch it i'm like is this episode real it's real <laughs> Also, later, Hera having to trust her father, for better or for worse, because we know where that ends, but then she has to trust herself and know that she made the right choice to leave and do what she wants, like, separate from Cham. And I really love that backstory for Hera. Hera, as as I've talked about before, is, like, a huge standout for me in this rewatch and her strength throughout every single episode and her knowledge of who she is, I think, is really admirable. And I really liked this episode of her uh, sort of struggling to call Cham before she, like, she has to do what she has to do, which is call Cham on Ryloth. And she has to face her past and the fact that her father basically rejected her after her mother died. And there's a shot of her just standing in front of like the hollow receiver, waiting and like willing herself to make that call. Um, to him. And I, she puts it all on the line for the rebellion, for the ghost crew, for Phoenix, Phoenix Squadron. And in a lot of ways, she's so rewarded throughout this entire um, season. I, I really admire that. She becomes captain. I know. And when she becomes captain in Wings of the Master, the episode, as we get Pinged, like, basically every month, I think, of someone watching that episode for the first time and being like, oh, my God, that's your theme music. (laughs) And yes, it is. And you see why it is, because it's such a good episode. And the music is amazing. And we should probably change that soon. But um, I feel like it is the ending of that. I was, like, I was tearing up. I love that Kanan suggests to Commander Sato that she should be um, the head of the Phoenix Squadron and becomes captain. And I just... I loved it so much. It was so great. <laughs> um, okay. I think I got I to gotta take a second here. I know I've been talking for a little bit, but the Canaan and Hera relationship is so amazing and so wonderful and really adorable, especially in this season. There's a lot of amazing shots, especially like the one at the end of the sunset. And the fact that, I think you mentioned this, that like, you know, Kanan and Ezra are like going off to potentially die and their goodbye is so lovely and the fact that Kanan says I'll see you again and then he comes back and he's blinded I mean it's just like it's just unreal like I can't but I have to say okay later in season four when they share a kiss and it was like they finally kissed Guys, they've been kissing constantly. Just we haven't seen it on Disney XD. Okay, obviously. Obviously. But I remember people being like their first kiss. And yeah. no.
1: Well, they said been... that until like two seconds later when we see Jason Cindola And I was like, "Wow." Well. Right.
0: <laughs> I know. I know. So I'm just saying I just I want to make it clear that I am uh, definitely not first kiss truther and no. they are fully <laughs> they are together okay to the point where Kanan is like nervous to meet the dad and then <laughs> I love how Kanan is like your dad's great he's so so great stories and Hes like closes the door on his face I love that <laughs> so amazing I... and Kanan being all like nervous to meet Jim. <laughs> then he so wakes perfect. up from
1: being stunned and he's like all right your dad's not that great <laughs>
0: Yeah. <laughs> so great.
1: <laughs> I uh I loved that episode with with Caden 2 in the beginning when he's so nervous to meet uh Hera's father and he introduces all of the ghost crew incorrectly. He like he inter- he's like this is Ezra and he's pointing to Zeb and he's like this is Sabine and he's pointing to Ezra and he's like <laughs> completely wrong Perfect. and then he doesn't even introduce <laughs> Chopper at all and Chopper like grumbles beside him classic but- really funny yeah i think that trust is kind of a huge uh theme of season two i think season one was you know really about identifying what this family unit was and their trust in each other and i think we see that expounded in season two i think that's kind of recurring all throughout rebels honestly because their relationships are kind of always put to the test and they always come out for each other at the end of it and so I think that's just something we're going to continually be talking about through the rest of the series season 2 is really when we start to open up to the bigger picture of the rebellion and we talked about this in season 1 in I can't remember the name of the episode but it's the one with uh, Sabine and Hera when Sabine is so frustrated about not knowing who fulcrum is and who they're working for and Hera is like you have to have faith in the bigger picture here and i think that that is a really big theme of season two of not only the ghost crew joining the rebellion in a more official capacity as a rebel cell i don't really i don't think we can call it a rebe- the rebellion quite yet like it's all still being formed right that's the whole point of the of the show um but you know Hera becomes leader of captain of phoenix squadron obviously they're working with commander Sato and a a bigger network I guess we would call it at this point but I think we also see this in the characters of how they're a lot more clued in to the bigger picture here and how they're involved in it Um, I think we see this especially with Ezra and with Sabine when they both have these kind of individual episodes where they get a glimpse of like what their life could have looked like or did look like before they were in the ghost crew. We've got Ezra's episode. What's it called? Like brothers of the broken horn. I think where Hondo is reintroduced and Hondo is so funny when he's like, you could be a pirate. You can be a Jedi pirate. It'll be so fun. And Ezra kind of thinks about it, but at the end of it, he's talking to Kanan and, and he says, you know, Hondo is only in it for himself. And I don't think like that anymore. And he said something similar in season one too, where he used to be only focused on himself, but being a part of the ghost crew has made him think about others. And then I think that has even expanded now where in season two, we're seeing him lead missions. He's the one that, um, made the contact about the other Lasats through Hondo, again. (laughs) But he kind of led that mission. And we see him really putting the Rebellion first in a couple of instances throughout the season. And then with Sabine, we have our episode with Ketsu where, you know, we find out a little bit of more about Sabine's past, which you were talking earlier about, Charlotte, and how great this was to get this information. But in this episode, Sabine is reintroduced to what her life looks like as a bounty hunter and how that's not what she wants anymore. She wants to be a part of something with the ghost crew and with, um, you know, the the f- foundation of the rebellion to help people throughout the galaxy. And then when we have the episode with her and Kanan um, with uh, Fen Rao, that is what she's talking, what um, Kanan is talking about with Fen Rao about, you know, you have to look at the bigger picture here. Hera talks about it with her father, you know, that you can't just be focused on Ryloth. You have to look at the galaxy as a whole because that's what ultimately matters. It's all of us together that are going to change things for the betterment of everyone. And I think that's something that we really see throughout and especially too in the honorable ones with Zeb and Callus, where Zeb kind of challenges Callus to actually ask questions about what the empire is doing and their reasoning behind things and not just kind of follow blindly, which it kind of seems like that's what Callus was doing. Um, so I thought, I think that that was a really great kind of theme for season two and how they're, you know, they're really building out the rebellion and, you know, we're looking for a base, but we're also connecting with people from different planets and different sectors of the galaxy and bringing them into the rebellion. And it's growing and growing. And, you know, of course, we'll eventually see them be successful against the empire.
0: Totally. I think that the show I mentioned in our last episode that, I remember a complaint of Rebels being like, the show is called Star Wars Rebels. I thought the show was going to be about the beginnings of the rebellion. I'm not seeing anything that looks like the rebellion that I know in the original trilogy. And I think that changes a little bit in this season or it's more firmly planting. It's like that changes a little bit, but then it's also like more firmly planting in in its feet in the fact that, no, this is different. This is a story of a bunch of different people realizing that they're part of a bigger thing. And that kind of goes to what you were talking about. And I think that while, yeah, the theme is trust, I think there's also themes of identity that come up constantly that you were referring to. And then also the concept that what is it like to be an individual versus what is it like to be part of a collective? Mm -hmm. And eventually I think we all learn, and we know that this is where it's leading at Star Wars, that being part of a collective is more valuable than being part... Or just being an individual in the world or like doing things just for yourself and it's better to do things for other people. And that is really hammered home here. And I think you see a lot more of the beginnings of the rebellion that we come to know in the original trilogy, Um, particularly with seeing more of the fleet and understanding how that all works. And I think we know down the line in season three and season four, there's some overlap with Rogue One and you see Mon Mothma and everything like that. We're like, we're leading to that. Mm I am thankful now looking back on it that the show went the more smaller route with showing a small group of rebels and like, what does that even look like? And how do you even get started if you hate the government that you're under (laughs) and what do you want to do about it, right? Because I think that it could have gone a different way and then I think that would have potentially screwed up and not made room for shows like Andor um, that tell a similar story to what we're describing, right? Like the individual versus collective, right? But you can't have a story that starts off five years before A New Hope that already has a complete and full rebellion. That's just not how it works. Like you have to get to the point where the success in A New Hope is the ultimate success, right? Yeah. And you don't get there overnight. You get there with a lot of different rebel sects, right? And I like that it allows for different shows to sprout up, I guess, in this time period. Because without Rebels laying that sort of groundwork, maybe we wouldn't have gotten Andor in the way that it stands now.
1: Yeah, I think that to your point about A New Hope having to be like the ultimate victory, this is what Dave talks a lot about when it comes to like Luke and Vader and Ahsoka and Vader, that like anything Ahsoka does, it can't ever get too close to Anakin slash Vader because then that diminishes Luke's role in Return of the Jedi and that has to be the ultimate redemption because that's the foundation of Star Wars. (laughs) It has to be the best of the best. And I think that's kind of true for the Rebellion and also just... Reality of how something like that would even work for a rebellion to eventually build up enough um, manpower and firepower to actually be effective against the empire. I think that we also see this tension on like a small scale, a little bit into that individualism versus collectivism and also identity, particularly with Kanan and Rex in this season, and how they both, in the beginning of the season, are really hesitant about joining. The rebellion. And this is kind of one of those things that I feel like maybe could have benefited from another conversation between Kanan and Hera later on in the season. But he kind of gets on this like Inquisitor sidetrack not sidetrack but that just becomes Kanan's storyline with Ezra kind of in the back half of the season uh, but in the beginning of the season particularly in the first couple of episodes there's a lot of tension between Kanan and Hera about what it is they're doing with the rebellion and um, they I forget which episode it must be one of the first ones where they have like a vote about if they're going to stay with the rest of the rebellion um as it exists now and like commander sato and everyone like that and kanan really doesn't want to and he's like i've already been in one war i don't want to be in another one i saw how it ended and i'm happy doing what we were doing before of like existing by ourselves and you know doing kind of the robin hood thing and hara is like we can't keep doing that like we we have to look at the bigger picture here And we see Rex kind of say something similar, which I thought was a great parallel between the two of them, uh, especially considering their relationship throughout season two, right? Uh, In the first half, it's, you know, it's stressful. (laughs) But Rex is kind of in the same position of like, I don't want to join another war. I've been through that. And that's not my purpose anymore. Uh, But then also to
0: survive, he has to be the individual.
1: Exactly. Right. Yeah. And so
0: how does he fit into a collective again and if again <laughs> yeah. right
1: I really enjoyed Kanan and Rex in this season uh, a lot Uh we, and I think we'll talk about that in the next section but uh, I thought that was kind of a great parallel between the two of them who are not enemies of course I think Kanan might describe them as enemies at the beginning of the season but they both have kind of a similar perspective of rejoining Uh, the war and that they're headed to war. Eventually they both can kind of see the writing on the wall. And I, I don't think they, I don't necessarily think that Kanan's resolve to be in the rebellion with Hera was uh, saying resolve twice was necessarily resolved that well. Um, We see him like want to promote Hera to captain, which is adorable and great, but I don't think we see him kind of come to that Yes, I do actually want to be a part of this. Um, and I think we could have benefited from that kind of conversation, given the conversations him and Hera had at the beginning of the season.
0: I think that's part of his journey, though, mm-hmm. that we're going to continue into season three. Yeah. Like it doesn't have to be fully resolved in the season. No. Especially because now he's blinded. I feel like his blinding is sort of part of this whole journey that he's on. I mean, it is. It's not like, right. And, him feeling more solidified in himself in the forest as a Jedi as like the father figure of the ghost it comes even later for when his sacrifice happens right and sorry to mention that and bring that up (laughs) (laughs) like I I, bring the the point of I just don't think that I don't even know if he's actually in that spot as much as you would want him to be I don't know if he is
1: yeah I would agree with that and I would also say that I think I think there could be an argument and I'll wait to have this argument fully once I actually rewatch season three and season four, if Kanan (laughs) ever kind of comes to that point when it comes to the rebellion, because to, to what you were talking about when it comes to identity, I think that Kanan's ultimate arc is his identity as a Jedi, Uh, you know, in the first season where he is convinced that he is not the teacher for Ezra, that he's not even a Jedi to season two where he, is knighted as a Jedi at the very end, but is still, and then goes through this whole other, like it's almost like, not that he regresses, but like he's blinded. And so we see a lot of his struggles in adapting to this new reality that he lives in and how he can still be an effective teacher, an effective Jedi, an effective husband, an effective dad, um, despite this kind of really devastating thing that happened to him um and then of course we see him come to the ultimate moment in season four again not to bring the mood down that just got me so excited because that means we get to meet the bendu
0: soon and (laughs) i know i was i i couldn't remember when we meet the bendu and i was sort of waiting for it all season it didn't happen i was like it's next season season. i know i know we're working on our summer series but like i really want to get started on season three i might might still do that
1: the idea of the 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 prospect of the Bendu in the Ahsoka show is like, oh my god, (laughs) it's overwhelming for me.
0: (laughs) And the prospect is so there. So many things are in that show that like,
1: there seems like there's so much (laughs) weird force stuff, and I don't know. I just I really think we could do it. (laughs) I I think Dave wants to do it. So I'm gonna put those words in his mouth, and he does absolutely want to do it. Time will tell. Oh, it'd be so good. And then it would be like partially practical and partial, like CGI oh my god, oh my god. Think About that, it'd <laughs> be so big. That, because that was talked it about. It'd be like the phallus iron. So It'd be so massive,
0: <laughs> or a miniature, or a bigature. My new a favorite bigoture? thing is to say bigature. I love that. Anyway, yeah. Um. Oh man. Anyway, so Ben <laughs> upcoming. Yes.
1: I I also wanted to talk about cameos in season two of Rebels because cameos, cameos, cameos are kind of like the 2020s version of filler
0: discussion, I think. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a Star Wars fandom buzzword. It
1: is. Yeah. Especially, mm-hmm. of course, we're talking about The Mandalorian here and season two, ironically, of The Mandalorian was chock full of cameos and people had a lot of things to say about that. Um, I will also
0: say I think we're all misusing the word cameo. Cameo really means like in and out. A, I understand it in and out. Yeah, yeah. and also usually of the world, a, uh, an actor or someone that is recognizable, like playing themselves, out, like, almost. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's usually like a self played cameo. Yeah, and so I think that we're all using this word wrong, but for sake of the argument and the conversation, we can say cameo here. Correct. I just I, to say, I that. think it's kind of like our gray Jedi conversation too. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but
1: I am forever interested in the, in the conversation of cameos as we're using them here and when they're considered effective, when they're not, how time heals all wounds in a lot of ways. And season two is full of cameos. And I think that I would say that probably Leia's episode is the most heavily critiqued. but I, And I think the rest of them were pretty well received uh, if memory serves me. And If season two of Rebels was airing now, I think people would be so kind of over all of these use of Clone Wars characters and like it's an overuse of Vader and Leia and Maul and all of that. Whereas back then, I... I definitely think there was some of that, especially when we're talking about that clone wars versus rebels thing, but all of these characters were, were so effectively used I thought. And I think it's believable that all of them would show up uh, in a lot of the same ways that I think the cameos in like season two of the Mandalorian were believable that those people would show up and that they would be, that they could be present in a show like the Mandalorian. And that isn't it just fun to have these people all interacting? I was watching Twilight of the Apprentice and I was like, can you believe that it was Maul down there? Like, oh my God. (laughs) I know. It could have been anyone in the world, and they were like,
0: mall. <laughs> I mean, you're there. saying, isn't it just fun to have everyone interact? That's like our ethos, though, Caitlin. I know it like, is. I we've mean... never really been mad at this. No, ever. Never. And we're just like, ooh, our favorite characters are back. <laughs> hey! like, that's the vibe. <laughs> like... <laughs> and I think it's not even just their back, they get whole storylines, <laughs> and they help aid in a development of the characters that we love like Ezra the whole having Leia in just to like stay laser focused on the Leia thing because I remember that being so critiqued mm-hmm. and it is crazy because the episode's good um the Leia sounds perfect to me she looks great i think the episode is makes a lot of sense. And now we've obviously been in an ecosystem in which we've seen younger Leia mm-hmm. a lot. We've seen little Leia. We've seen Leia in Rogue One. We've seen – we we know Leia, right? At this point, we didn't. So it was a little shocking. And it felt big to have, like, Luke, Han, or Leia in Rebels. And it, and it is big. I'm not saying that it's not. Um, but I really do think that it helped back to the conversation of, like, the themes of identity and, like, the struggle a little bit. Um, I guess I was like why is Leia here and who is she here for in terms of like who is she going to bounce off as a character and it's Ezra and I really thought that it was a really good move to bring in Leia here not because of their a- their ages are similar and it really pushes Ezra in that direction of um, being able to understand how big a rebellion and can be and how much a sacrifice can mean. And we know Leia is a character who like fully understands sacrifice. At this point in her life, she maybe doesn't, but we know that that's what she comes to to be. And at this point when this was airing, we didn't really even know how much, right? Mm -hmm. Putting these two characters next to each other though, it really did underscore for Ezra how important the rebellion is or like building up the rebellion is despite the fact that he was at this point when he met Leia really depressed about his parents. And we know that Leia lives in a very happy home. We know from the Obi-Wan
1: Kenobi show that at the end of it, she's like very ready to partake in what her father is doing.
0: It was really good that they brought in Leia. And I really liked the two quotes of them um, when Leia and Kanan actually were talking about Ezra. Kanan says, it's a challenge his age being under so much responsibility. And Leia says, I know that feeling. So for me, I really understood why they would bring in Leia here because we know that Leia has so much responsibility, so much on her shoulders about the rebellion and like her role in it. And I think the conversation between Ezra and Leia, I mean, we know that Leia is also Force-sensitive, right? That I think that they have a lot in common. Yeah, and I think the question
1: is always, like, should it be Leia? And then to, like, Charlton and I's pers- perspective, it's like, why can't it be Leia? Like, yeah. It would make sense. Yeah. Like, we saw in the Obi-Wan Kenobi show that by the end of it, even at the young age of nine or whatever, she has realized, I think, of, like, her, her purpose. And that sounds like... Kind of lofty for a nine year old, and it is, but Leia is a character, so she's not real. And also, (laughs) Also, that's her personality. Yeah. And (laughs) like, (laughs) she's, because in the beginning of the Obi Wan Kenobi show, she is not interested at all. She's like running out, climbing trees, back sassing her cousins in spectacular fashion, I'll add. But by the end of it, we see her not running away from the things that her father and mother are doing, and that. You know, is I think foreshadowing, of course, the ways in which she is a part of the rebellion. And of course, we see that in the beginning of A New Hope that that and and Rogue One that she's already doing that. So, of course, it makes sense for her to be involved at this level um, when in Rebels like she would be someone that we're coming in that we could be coming into contact with. Bail Organa has been mentioned a couple of times in the show. We've seen him in the show. I can't. Yeah, the yeah, uh, wings of the master has happened already. So at the end of that episode, they directly mention Bail Organa that he's going to be paying to manufacture these new ships for the rebellion, the B wings. Um, So you know, like it makes sense for Leia to be there, or I guess I should say it doesn't not make sense for Leia to be there. (laughs) I just think I had kind of forgotten how many people are in this season that are not Rebels originals <laughs> in that way. And how I think they all really added to the story. I think that, I think that Lando's episode in season one was just downright hilarious. Um, I think the introduction of Hondo worked well for Ezra's episode, as far as seeing this pirate lifestyle and how he doesn't actually want that life anymore. The fact that we see him more throughout the series, I think is great. It's, I think Hondo is always funny, honestly. And what it? What is Hondo says something so funny in that episode with the broken horn, where Ezra introduces himself as Lando, and I think Hondo calls him a semi
0: famous scoundrel, and so funny. I love how Hondo is like when Ezra says my name's actually Ezra, Hondo's like I knew I liked you. Instead of there's a beat drop almost where Hondo should be like mad about that, but instead he is thrilled at this deception. Exactly. That's like delightful. It's it's so great. <laughs> uh, yeah.
1: And then, you know, Ahsoka and Maul, I think, are great foils to both Kanan and Ezra. What Ahsoka represents as... Uh, a Jedi, even though she doesn't consider herself a Jedi, I don't think that's how Kanan looks at her initially. Um, especially knowing that she was Anakin's Padawan, we know that Kanan thinks very highly of Anakin, as that's he's told Ezra that. And so to see Ahsoka, who is a couple of years older than him, right? You know, like I'm sure he has a perspe- a perception of her that like she she is actually a Jedi and. I'm not. Um, and then Maul, you know, of course, becomes a great foil to Ezra down the line. And the fact that we can see their stories progressing, like their main stories, Ahsoka and Vader, and like Ahsoka's story, and then Maul and Obi-Wan down the line too, in conjunction with like Kanan and Ezra, I think is really cool. And then even like Rex and Wolf and Gregor, and the clones and all of them, that's such an important storyline that we're now exploring in a really big way when it comes to the Bad Batch and what is happening to the clones. And a lot of those seeds are being laid here specifically in season two. And I don't know. I we—I know the galaxy is big and there's always room for new characters and I always want new characters. But I think it's really fun to like see these people cross paths because the galaxy is big, but it's actually not that big. <laughs>
0: Yeah, hindsight is always so interesting. Yeah, and how often the cameo culture, I guess, has permeated Star Wars. Like it's in—it's always interesting that people are get mad at Star Wars characters being in Star Wars. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I know that sometimes it makes the universe feel like smaller, and I guess that's the main complaint. But I haven't really felt that way. Yeah. So,
1: I also just think that Leia and Ezra are talking about Ezra's parents is also just big time sad because we know that Leia is going to be in a
0: similar situation to Ezra very shortly. and That's sort of what I couldn't put my finger on when I was talking about that, about Mm -hmm. why it was important that Leia was the character that was there. And that's the reason. Yeah, Because it's important foreshadowing because we know that as an audience. Who doesn't know that? And ouch. Yeah. Ouch.
1: Yeah, and it hurts even more now because of the Obi-Wan Kenobi show, where we've seen yes. them all interacting together. <sighs> okay.
0: Star Wars is tragedy. Star Wars is tragedy. What, can we, tragedy. what can we say? <laughs> so. All right. Should we move on to part three? We're talking about highlights and lowlights. Yes.
1: Listen, big deal. You got another problem. Women always figure out the truth. Always. All right. Let's talk part three, highlights and lowlights. I thought maybe instead of just like kind of random highlights and lowlights, maybe we should talk about like our favorite episodes in a little bit more detail in this Mm -hmm. uh, section. And we originally, I feel like you and I, we have very similar Star Wars opinions. So I think like our favorites (laughs) are kind of our favorites together. (laughs) Obviously, Twilight of the Apprentice is one of our favorites, but we've kind of already talked a lot about that episode already. So
0: and I always feel a little bad spending so much time on the Ahsoka of it all. Exactly, yeah. You know? Anyway, yeah. moving on.
1: I gotta say, though, and all that have to say is that we probably won't be exploring Twilight the Apprentice in detail in the same way in this section. Stealth Strike was such a charming episode for me that I'd kind of forgotten all about, honestly. And I... I thought this episode was so funny. I thought the tension was Can you
0: describe what that episode was? Yes. Yeah, so
1: in this episode, Ezra is going is leading a mission with Commander Sato, uh, kind of for the first time on his own, and everyone else is kind of left behind. But then they, of course, get captured. I think this is the episode with the gravity well, like pulling yeah, it's yeah. where they pull a ship out of hyperspace and everyone is like really f- freaked out, right? Obviously. And so Commander Sato and Ezra get captured, and there's great banter between the two of them where Ezra's like, it's totally gonna be fine. Like, I get captured all the time. And was <laughs> like, that's not giving me a lot of confidence. <laughs> and Ezra's like, could I get out? <laughs> and then we have the Imperial Guard there who is talking to Callus. And Callus is like, you got Ezra Bridger. Put three guards on him. Lock him in high security. I'm coming. And the Guard is like, that's ridiculous. He's a child. <laughs> and Callus is like... All right, we'll see. (laughs) Anyway, so Kanan and Rex are tasked as part of the rescue mission to go get Sato and Ezra and of course, the, this is kind of early in the season. So there's tension between Kanan and Rex. Really Kanan to Rex. And Kanan is like, "Where I don't need to listen to you. I can't believe, like, how do I know you won't be tempted to shoot me again? It's like <laughs> really kind of mean. Because they have to put back on Stormtrooper outfits. And uh, Kanan is kind of making some jibs at Rex about how he looks in it. And anyway, of course, Ezra gets out of Uh, his prison cell and there's this great sequence where he starts shooting at Kanan and Rex without realizing that it's them and when they wake up he sets it to stun it's so funny he sets the gun the blaster to stun he stuns Kanan and Rex and when they all wake up they're like oh my god what happened and Ezra's like I don't know there were just so many of them but like I saved us don't worry and then Chopper immediately posts a replay of Ezra shooting Kanan and Rex and they're like, why would you shoot us? It it was really funny. But I, I'm sorry for like this really long explanation. You all can watch the episode. (laughs) But I think this episode was so good because of the relationship between Kanan, Ezra, and Rex because as we were talking about earlier, Ezra's being pulled in a lot of different directions and the fact that Kanan and Rex can't kind of agree on... for lack of a better word lesson plans like balanced lesson plans for ezra he's so frustrated with the both of them and he even tells him he's like i wanted to come on this mission to get away from the two of you because you're driving me insane <laughs> and yeah, i think it was um one i really liked it to show ezra's independence both within the rebellion and how skilled he is becoming because he does escape. He rescues Sato um, and he gets them all out eventually. And it's his plan that gets them all rescued. But then we have the side mission with Kanan and Rex and how they come to a new understanding. And when Rex is ultimately captured and uh, sacrifices himself for Kanan, Kanan realizes that he's been really prejudiced uh, towards Rex and goes back and saves him and calls him his friend. He's like, oh, I can't leave my friend behind. And I just think it was such a fun, like, good, solid episode. And I really forgotten all about it. And that's my long uh, love letter to Stealth Strike.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It was a good one. Yeah. One that I just feel like we haven't talked enough about. I'm just trying to make sure that we hit most of them is The Honorable Ones, Mm. which is the Zeb and Callus episode in which Callus has a lot of thinking to do at the end. Mm -hmm. And it starts off with there being no life forms on Geonosis anymore. And something that's interesting is this is another piece of Rebels Recon (laughs) pointing out that they know where the story is going and it's really not discussed and talked about in this episode that much. But later in Rebels, I think it's season three, I think, it might even be season four when they go to Geonosis and there's like the whole thing with click clack and everything and the queen, which has like ramifications that extend to like the comics too. Anyway, the Geonosis stuff is really crazy, but the Honorable Ones is a really great episode that explores Zeb, that explores Callus. And by the end of it, you're like a fan of Callus. It's crazy. And I love episodes in which like a lot of character work is happening. There's a lot of great conversations. And um, I think you noted in your notes that Callus has always known Zeb's full name, you know, Garazab. And the fact that the Lassat weapon that Calus uses was actually given to him by the Lassat he killed, which is a tradition. And he has it, like he keeps it. There's so many things that are touching about this episode. And really a lot of work is being done to make you not think... Callus is like that bad right and for me I, honestly it works <laughs> and by the end of it I'm like I want to see more of these two together I mean dang <laughs> so <laughs> the tension um, is real I, the tension is so real and I really like how this pushes Zeb's story forward I mean I spent a lot of time in our last episode talking about how Star Wars is a problem with like the muscle characters where they have a problem like exploring the deepness of the character but i think i need to retract that because i think in season two a lot of work is done for zeb where zeb has a crazy interesting backstory and everything to do with like him being a lasat is fascinating and something i don't really think we talk about a lot as a fandom and i really liked this episode really good
1: yeah the honorable ones continues to slap
0: <laughs> and yeah, always has so
1: good I think so good. an episode that I specifically balled in was Legacy uh, yeah, which me too. what <laughs> you said that so proudly. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which, which was actually the mid-season finale. So this was the last episode that aired before The Force Awakens came out, which talk about an emotional episode to kind of end on and then segue into The Force Awakens. This mm-hmm. episode got me so bad. I I was sending Charlotte Snapchats and I was like, I'm not going to survive season four, like when Ezra has to meet up with his parents, with his parents again, and the like force vision that Palpatine makes. This is the episode where Ezra, um, he has a vision of the character who we know as Ryder, Astratus, I think is his last name who knew Ezra's parents in the Imperial prison. And this is where we first get the white loth cat that starts to talk to Ezra through visions. This is of course something that we'll see much later down the line in season, I think season three too, but specifically in season four and Ezra and Kanan go back to Lothal to follow this vision and find out about his parents. And he thinks that they're still alive and it's when he meets up with Ryder, he finds out that they are not, that they, they died. But Ryder tells Ezra that Ezra's parents heard Ezra's radio transmission from the end of season one. And it inspired so much hope in them that they led a mass escape from the Imperial prison, but that they were the last ones out and that they didn't make it out, but that it was his voice that like, Propelled them on, and then ultimately saved all these other people from the imperial prison.
0: And I can't. It was so beautiful. It like <laughs> it just wrecked I, me. It reminds me of Andor. <laughs> like it, it's so great. I think that I love the fact that Ezra got to know that. Mm-hmm. It's just so emotional. It, I love that detail.
1: It, yeah, it really kind of killed me. And one thing that I found myself thinking a lot about is that this episode reminded me a lot of how Ryan Johnson talked about The Last Jedi when he talked about like Rey, you know, at the time that Rey wasn't going to have an identity, like she wasn't going to have a last name, I guess is what we would say. And he talks about how it – the way that he thought about it was, you know, this is the middle chapter. What is the hardest thing that every character will have to go through? or to hear and the hardest thing for Ray to hear is that she doesn't actually belong to anybody that would be easy for her to fall into a family belonging and that's what she wants but that's not what a story is setting out to do and it really kind of reminded me of Ezra of like the easiest thing for Ezra is to hear that his parents are alive and that he can rescue them it's a much different story for them to ultimately be gone and to have that confirmed. And in Rebels Recon, they talked about this and they talked about it in relation to A New Hope because they said that, I think it was Henry Gilroy talking and he was like, you know, the original trilogy is about Luke coming to terms with his father and with his family. And we didn't want to make it seem like Ezra was kind of doing something similar um, in kind of chasing his parents or understanding of his parents or ultimately finding them. And we thought that we could send his character development in a different direction if we kind of confirmed now in season two that his parents were actually gone. And I think that was such a like a A good, sad choice (laughs) for the character. And this episode was also just really overwhelming because in the beginning of it, you find out that Kanan and Hera have actually been looking for Ezra's parents for like months, like combing through thousands of Imperial prisons for any hint of his parents. And that that's just like so beautiful and like, wow, they're such a family. And Ezra had no idea about it. And they were just trying to protect him.
0: And it just... Ugh, it was so good. I'm so emotional mm-hmm. over how fast... I've tweeted this. How fast, like, Keenan and Hera basically took Ezra in as, like, truly one of their own. Yeah. And really do operate as, like, the mother-father figure and care so deeply about him. Yeah. I just, like, can't... I don't know. I can't really get over it. Every time I see them interact, I'm like, they just met really. Mm -hmm. And yet here we are. They might have known each other for just a couple months. And Hera is in a lot of ways, like the first question she asks is like, where's Ezra? How's Ezra? Right. It's like, whoa, whoa, wow, 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 wow. And yeah, like they, they keep this from him to protect him until they finally can get the opportunity to tell him. I'm just
1: like imagining like all the stuff that they do throughout the day and then like they wait until everyone is asleep. Like the kids are in bed and then they like brew up a new pot of calf and they're like, all right, you take prisons five hundred and sixty through five hundred and seventy and I'll take the net and I'm like Like it's so sweet. <laughs> it's so sweet. And then and to your point too about like how quickly they take him in in the Mystery of Chopper base right before Ezra and Kanan leave with Ahsoka. And there's like that tension between Hera and Kanan. And Sabine is like, Kanan, you have to go talk to Hera. She's like really anxious about you leaving. And not only that, but you're also taking Ezra with you too. And it's like, yeah, that's like, that's like her kid now, you know? And they're both going and it's this thing that – Hera can't be a part of. And then I I was kind of overwhelmed too that I didn't really think about before this viewing that Hera sends Chopper with Kanan and Ezra and Ahsoka and that rather than like keeping Chopper, like it would make more sense for Chopper to stay with Hera, right? Like Chopper is Hera's. Um, But she sends Chopper with Kanan and Ezra because she wants them to have like even more backup or like this piece of her, I guess. I don't know. just
0: I'm, like, always charmed by people sending droids with their loved ones in Star Wars. I've always been charmed by, you know, Padme giving R2-D2 to mm-hmm. Anakin, and then that, that's, like, the relationship there. So, like, that, that really works for me. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it's very charming. Yeah. I don't know. It's just so lovely.
1: It is. It really is.
0: Another episode, maybe, like, the last one we should talk about, that... Uh, is The Future of the Force, which I can't believe hasn't come up in our conversation yet, but it is, like, basically an extension of the Holocron heist in The Clone Wars, where it talks about, like, babies and, like, capturing babies. I, <laughs> um, oh, and Holocron heist. I forgot about this. Completely.
1: You forgot about Holocron heist?
0: No. I never forgot about I Holocron heist. Like we be... talk about it, like, every week No, I forgot about this episode oh, yes. specifically. Okay, yes. And... Honestly, on Rebels Recon, uh, Andy asks Dave, so what happens to the babies after this episode? Or like before this episode? And Dave goes, nothing I can show on Disney XD. Excuse? <laughs> it was really intense. And I really enjoyed basically this follow up, I guess, about, I don't know, the Empire taking babies. Yeah, it's just it's a good continuation of a storyline. Yeah.
1: And yeah, as we've been talking and something about, that we
0: consistently see. Yeah,
1: this storyline is one that is continuing, you know, with Grogu, even now into Mandalorian. It's great.
0: Yeah, we just can continuously see this. And I think we we've seen it also in the Bad Batch, too. Mm-hmm, yeah. So yeah. Each project basically kind of touches this, the fact that people are always after like the next generation, basically. Yeah. Grogu is that. I still, there's still, I think, more to explore with Grogu there. Mm -hmm. And that's why we're going to have another season of The Mandalorian. But it's definitely always like on the back burner, I guess, of these Star Wars stories that there's this threat, I guess.
1: Yeah. I think that, as we mentioned earlier, season two lays a lot of groundwork for things coming down the line um here are some of them that are things that get explored either later in rebels in like season four or later in star wars stories altogether i'm sure i've left out things but we've got the inquisitors and their roles they obviously become a huge part of obi-wan kenobi um Purgles. We even see them later in man, in The Mandalorian. Early hyperspace travel that's now being explored in the High Republic in kind of a really big way. Um, we've got the beginning of *Callus's redemption. Callus referencing Saw Gerrera, which this is really interesting to me because this is before Saw Gerrera becomes like a much bigger character in kind of everything else that we've seen him in. Um, in the review of uh, this episode, the, the reviewer Kevin Johnson, apparently my fave, has to explain who Saw Gerrera is. He calls him the Brother of Stila, which is true, but like that's kind of the um, identifier is like, oh, he was in this arc, this like one-off arc from the Clone Wars on Onderon and his sister Stila dies after being like a, a leader. Which I was like, well, that's that's kind of crazy. <laughs> like, there's kind of no other. This is one of the first early references for Saw. Uh, Zeb being in, in the honor guard on Lissan, I think this kind of tracks with him being a pilot or a fighter again in The Mandalorian, uh, seemingly separate from the rest of the ghost crew. That could be disproven later, but I don't know. That's kind of my uh, inference. Uh, that's kind of what I'm inferring now, anyway. Um, our hints at Ahsoka and Rex's story from The Clone Wars Season 7. Uh, and of course, Force Sensitive Children is something that is being explored with Grogu. There's just a lot of things that are coming down the line. And then we've got a lot of hints that weird force stuff too. Of course, um, you know we've got stuff like the world between worlds that uh, is built up again in this episode or in this season that will obviously come to big fruition in season four and potentially in the
0: Ahsoka show as well. It's not even potentially at this point. I feel like it's happening. I think yeah. the <laughs> not not prepared, but the I I think that the purgles, the situation with lyra Son, and then what Ezra is experiencing within the Jedi temples that he visits in which he experiences different visions and like sort of unlocks different parts of himself. Mm -hmm. I think in those, I think those are all different iterations of something adjacent to the world between worlds. And I think rebels is continuously like laying those seeds so that towards the end of the season, it all kind of makes sense and feels organic to the story.
1: Well, Dave says that explicitly in the, uh cool. in the World Between Worlds, Rebels recon <laughs> Don't remember that, but <laughs> he, cool. I remember because I've rewatched it so many times. <laughs> <'Cause> he's like, <laughs> he, they're like the World Between Worlds is like brand new. And Dave is like, is it? He's like, No, it's not. Ezra's been here. He's just seen different bits and pieces of it throughout these seasons. He just didn't know it yet. So
0: <laughs> Wild. Anyway, Wild. good
1: stuff. Good
0: stuff. Best thing in Star Wars. So good. <laughs> All right. So, what's your favorite episode of the season?
1: Uh, I think probably, you know, outside of Twilight of the Apprentice, it's probably. I think
0: you can say Twilight of the Apprentice if you want.
1: I think it is, but like, I do think Twilight of the Apprentice stands kind of separate, honestly, from the mm-hmm. entire season. So, I think that is my favorite, but Stealth and Legacy are my favorites of the
0: season. Mm-hmm. Legacy, I think, me too. Yeah. Honorable mention to the legacy of Lasan for me just yeah. just like really big in my brain I guess <laughs> just feels like a fever dream <laughs> and really struck me when I first watched it and continues to strike me now yeah so I like the season a lot and I can't wait for season three and for more Star Wars
1: yeah so is there anything else we want to say about season two of
0: Rebels I don't think so um you know, actually, one more thing, okay? okay? One more thing. The Forgotten Droid episode, the introduction to AP5, and Chopper making a friend. I know I already mentioned this, I think, on Chopper having his, like, own arc. Um, this episode is so good, and I know that the reviewer didn't really <laughs> like it, but it's okay.
1: I loved I it. I love
0: this episode, and I love the fact that Chopper makes a friend. I think it's perfect. The Alan and Rickman I loved... Droid. Yeah, basically, except it's Stephen Stanton, but, like, the same thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that... The I I think I really like these weird little droid episodes that happen in Star Wars animation that always just sort of leave me with a smile, I guess. But at the same time, this episode like did make me tear up a little bit when Chopper and AP5 are like essentially holding hands at the end of it. Oh yeah. When AP5 is like dying. Yeah. He's alive now. It's okay. But that was so sweet. It and was. I just I love Chopper. How can you look at this? How can you look at that droid and not... That, that droid, that droid not, there. I was going to say that man. She's <laughs> so wrong. But how can you look at that droid and not fall instantly in love with the grumpiness? It's, he's just perfect. But then when he's soft, like, oh, my God. When he is leading blind Kanan no. in Twilight of the Apprentice to Ezra by his hand, mm-hmm. I... Mm-hmm. That I I, I just Mm-mm. the emotional moments that you get from a grumpy droid is just beautiful. They're, beautiful. They're twelve out of Jeff's ten. Kiss.
1: Twelve out of ten. They really are
0: twelve out of ten. Yeah. Um. Okay. I just want to end on that. Just end on perfect on chopper, chopper moments. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. End on chopper. We hundred percent disagree with
1: Kevin Johnson. I hate to say it. You're wrong. Chopper is fantastic.
0: Good reviewer. Wrong about
1: chopper. Yeah. You know we all Period. have to have a fatal flaw. Ours is, yeah. is maybe yeah. that we are here for all of. The cameos. Maybe that's our fatal flaw. Yeah. And Kevin is his hate of Chopper. So it is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh all right. Well, I think that's gonna wrap up this episode all about season two of Rebels. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I know a lot of people are re-watching Rebels right now. So please let us know what you thought of the season, what your favorite episodes are. How is specifically how is your opinion of the Purgle episode changed? Did it ever change? I'm I'm very interested to know because honestly, I don't I don't remember watching it back in 2015. So I remember. I don't. I really don't. So please let me know what you thought of it. You can find us on Twitter at Sky Talkers Pod or. Our personal handles at Caitlin Flesher and at Clarity. We also have a Threads account, so Sky is there as well. Uh, so you can follow us there. In it's case- actually
0: Skytalkers podcast.
1: So, I'm sorry, Skytalkers podcast on Threads in, in case Twitter implodes. Uh, so you can look for us there as well. Charlotte and I also have our personal handles on Threads as well, which is linked on our podcast page. Uh, so you can find us there too if you're interested. You can also follow us on Instagram in general on TikTok. Our website is skytalkers.com. All good places to find us. And if you have a couple seconds and would like to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, we would really appreciate it if you took a couple seconds to go and do that. Helps other people find the show and uh, share that you're listening in real time on any social media platform of choice. And we will reshare it on our social media platform of choice and if you're interested in other ways to support the show you can head on over to our patreon and check out our
0: different reward tiers there i want to say a huge thank you to these patrons alex aaron ashley eunice hunter josh tegan timothy amber brad ian john bj tom sarah lakshana matt jackson katherine molly Raphael, kimberly sophie megan and courtney thank you so much for supporting us
1: thank you guys so much and until next time may the force be with you
0: may the force be with you